host of the Biology Podcast, Ethan, along with obviously my co-host, Ricky, who will be talking about Tower of God Episode 8 later in the second half of the episode. But um, obviously, if you're on YouTube, you're only watching mine. So I am talking about Episode 8 of Gleipnir. Um, The show, obviously, I've been watching it all season, and it's had its ups, it's had its downs, absolutely. But uh, this week, absolutely, was a complete banger. Um, I feel like we're finally making some progress, which I alluded to last episode. I felt like that was definitely a good starting point for like a upward trajectory to like an actual story. Um, I think Elena alluded to a lot last, last episode. And I mean, this one is just so freaking jam packed. I literally had to like take notes and shit like that. Um, which is not super common for me on these, but, uh, I'll just kind of go through a couple of stuff. So first off, we do start off the episode. Um, Shuichi is having like a flashback memory to a time when he was in Graham, cram school. And in his weird memory, he's the only person in the entire cram school, just like him and his teacher. And he has like no friends or whatever. And he keeps like seeing all of them having fun outside and shit like that. Right. And then he wakes up, and Claire and Yota, who's handsome boy from last episode, uh, finally catch up with them. And um, Kitty Girl, I actually don't know her name. I don't know if I like just never gave a shit or what. But Kitty Girl and him apparently um, have now separated. And they apparently don't remember anything. But... Um, Kitty girl seems to, um, she made like this weird mistake where she said something about him not wearing glasses, but she only knows him having worn glass or not worn them or something like that. So Claire knows something's like up immediately once she says that, um, it, it was like, obviously like a really small line, but I think it, it it really lends to the fact that like Claire is an absolute freaking genius and I absolutely love that about her like she's very pessimistic she's weary but she's like fucking smart so that's really dope but anyway they go back to meet the rest of the crew and they finally do their like inter- introductions thing uh Shuichi joins the gang he uh puts like the 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 hair choker on but he meets the other members um, I'll go through them really quick. Isao Kasuga, he's that big ass looking Wookiee guy, but he has a like p- plant ability. So basically, he can make plants grow like crazy fast and like do whatever he wants them to do. Um, there's like obviously it seems like a kind of a niche skill, but I think it could be crazy strong. If you guys ever watched Fairy Tale, it's similar to like Warod, whatever his name is. Um, you know one of the fairy tale members that went on to be one of the, you know, four gods of Ishkar or whatever. Um, but he seems like a nice enough kid, but he did make a weird statement. So he actually said that he knew Shuichi while he was in cram school and said he always saw him out playing with his friends. But Shuichi said, I didn't have any friends in, in cram school. I was by myself. And the kid's like, well, that's freaking weird because I literally lived like right next to you uh, to that school and I saw you playing all the time and I wanted to be your friend. And so like definitely like things are not starting. They're definitely not adding up. And um, 
I've commented on this on in past reviews and stuff like that, but like the fact that Shuichi doesn't remember like literally jack shit about his own life is really, really odd. But I think like this really this episode really culminates a lot of those issues and it's kinda like culminates isn't the word that I'm looking for, but I'm just gonna have to go with it. Um, synergizes a lot of those issues and kind of finally gives them a coherent story. Um, anyway, continuing on, uh, Aihara Migara is this chick who has the invisibility power. She was the uh, convenience store worker. And um, also we know, obviously, camera guy. We know Yota's insanely strong, supposedly, but we don't know what the fuck he can do. And then we know... Um, bondage girl <laughs> with her uh you know liar ability where she can make people die if they lie to them or whatever which brings me to the point where shuichi is claiming amnesia and so is kitty girl but we know that kitty girl can remember things and she's not being choked to death by the neck thing so what the fuck is going on i really want to know i'm finally like invested again in this story um so that's pretty hype but uh, after that, like the introductions between all of them, they uh, Claire and Shuichi say, "Okay, now now it's probably time for us to show you what we can do." So they go outside and they have um, Isawa, Isawa, whatever the hell the, guy, the Wookie's name is, create like this massive tree, and then um, Claire gets inside Shuichi and they they, you know, just absolutely demolish this effing tree, which is like punch the living shit out of it. And uh, they're kind of like all like, wow, th these dudes are actually like strong as fuck. And then um, leader chick says, yo, Yota, do you want to like, you think you could take them essentially? And he's like, nah, I don't know. I'm not super confident about it, all this stuff. But uh, really leads me to believe that like this dude is an absolute thug lord. And I'm super interested in seeing what, you know, his ability is and when all that goes down. Because I'm like very hype on that. Um, the fact that they're kind of like not telling us what his ability is just means that he's going to be an absolute beast. Um, and just kind of from there, some like weird shit happens, but it finally starts plugging up some holes while also giving us new holes, of course, because this is the Gleipnir, the mystery of all mysteries. Um, so basically they start kind of explaining what's been going on in their group for all this time, and they kind of show where they found all their first coins is like in a straight path into the forest. And what they're assuming that is, is like coins dropping out of the spaceship as it's falling, the, the alien spaceship. And they're expecting like one spot in the forest that's going to have the spaceship and obviously a lot of fucking coins. And they keep saying they're looking for a hundred, like to gather a hundred coins. Um, they're not really doing a great job explaining what a hundred coins, you know, merits you. Um, it could be in reference to what the alien was saying about like ultimate power or whatever, right? And he's saying like, oh, if you if you were to you know find a hundred coins, you could become like so strong you could destroy the world and stuff like that. So like that's like the main obviously conflict is like stopping someone else from collecting a hundred coins and destroying the world. But um, yeah, so later on, you know, Shuichi does some shit where he finds out one of his friends is like a dog murderer or whatever. It's really like you, kind of like a dumb side plot in my opinion. Not interested whatsoever in it. Um, at least so far, maybe maybe serial killer guy is gonna turn out to be dope. Um, but yeah, so then uh, 
Kitty Girl ends up calling Elena, <laughs> who obviously is butt naked, of course. Um, well, she okay, my bad. She's got underwear on. But other than that, she's naked and just came out of the shower. And uh, she's in like their their her group's hideout. And she answers the phone. She's like, well, I don't talk to people I don't know. I'll call you later. And hangs up basically immediately. And uh, she like gets dressed, goes out. And then she calls her back. And she says like, yo, how do you know this number? I didn't even give Claire this number. Nobody has this number. And when Kitty Girl hears this, she starts talking about kind of what she experienced when she became one with Shuichi. Apparently, they literally like share all memories. They share all emotions, stuff like that which is a little different than what Claire has been, you know, kind of exhibiting or explaining. So I'm kind of interested to see what the difference between Kitty Girl and Claire is. Um, I think I have a theory that will come up in a second, but um, she kind of show, tells, you know, Elena that she know, she figured out the number from Shuichi's memories. She, I guess, looked through his phone and memories and saw her number and called her from that. But, um, she was saying that when she first just melded with Shuichi, she noticed all these gaps and this like fog essentially in his in his memory and with all these like lines struck out and stuff like that. And it seemed like she was saying that, you know, clearly she could tell that Shuichi really missed her Elena because she was the one that was the foggy character. But like there was just something redacting all these like journal entries and, and memories essentially which was really, really odd. Um, and Elena's like literally straight up crying at this point because she clearly like had something for Shuichi, but she does kind of explain at this point what Shuichi's power does because Kitty Girl was like really taken aback by like how completely they melded. Supposedly Shuichi has a special power where he's able to like completely um, combine with somebody and like build their two powers together like, you know, look a fucking Power Rangers Zord, you know, um, which was really cool. Um, I think, you know, we always obviously thought, you know, two can become one kind of thing. But I think the fact that like when they were in, you know, bloodlusted or whatever you want to call it, they like fully combined and like a it was like the additive process, not just like a, a suit over a body, if that makes any sense. And um, she kind of mentioned, like, if their goals are the same, you can be, like, freaking unstoppable. And then they kind of flashed that point where Kitty Girl pushes Shuichi and is like, look, we're not going to do this right now kind of thing. And um, I guess I kind of was showing you, like, their goals weren't aligned, and that's why they didn't just go, like, buck wild and kill that little kid. Um, but, yeah, v very freaking interesting. Um, so Kitty Girl says to her, like, well, don't you want to help us join us and help us stop somebody from getting the hundred coins and like becoming a bad guy like the alien said and elena says what if somebody already has my my goal and chuichi's goal are now different the question i have is did chuichi find a hundred coins and is an absolute thug lord behind the scenes somehow lost his memories or intentionally lost his memories and now it's going to be like this fucking eternal struggle between, you know, the good gatherer group and the bad gatherer group. Or is there just like some other asshole that's got a hundred coins worth of, you know, abilities or whatever the hell. 
Um, I'm still like struggling to figure out what the ideal is. Like, can you, if you have four coins, can you get abilities for all four coins? Or are, do you find your first coin, you get your first ability, and then you gather coins from there to 100? Like, I, I just want them to, like, fully spell it out. <laughs> um, maybe that's just, like, the OCD in me. But, uh, dude, this episode absolutely smacked. Like, complete upgrade from from previous episodes. This has been my favorite by far. I would give this episode, like, a 92 out of 100. Like, I legitimately really enjoyed it. I felt like we finally made legitimate progress. We finally aren't just like embroiled in, you know, stupid love triangle shit or like just over erotic, you know, scenes for no reason. And um, just in general, really, really solid episode. And it wasn't like a fighting episode or really anything like that. It was just like we're finally making, you know, marked progress. We're getting some of the mind games going on. We're starting to understand Elaine a little bit. Claire's still just a complete beast, and, um, you know, we're learning about these, their group that they just joined, obviously, they still have, uh, Demon Skull Boy off to the side somewhere to help them out, so, like, they finally, I think, built their squad, and it's, like, about to get really, really real, and we have a little bit more of a story to back it up now, so I'm pretty hyped about that, but, yeah, let me know in the comments if you guys are still watching, and, you know, what you thought about this episode in comparison to the last, like, eight or whatever the hell. All right, folks, I am going to throw it on over to Ricky pretty quick here, but I just wanted to say thank you to all those who have served in our, you know, armed forces, and obviously all those who have lost their lives um, to that end. Um, This is Memorial Day week for us, and, uh, you know, we'd be you know, I'd be in remiss if I didn't, you know, mention something like that. So I just wanted to say, you know, thank you very much for your service. And alrighty, so Ricky's episode was episode eight of Tower of God, obviously. Um, I think I enjoyed the episode more than he did, which is kind of wild. But uh, I'm not gonna like spoil it. But I thought it was pretty solid. (laughs) Anyway, I will catch you on the next one. Peace. Welcome back, my smart and savvy students. I am your tan professor, Ricky. I had a great Memorial Day weekend. Happy Memorial Day weekend to all of you guys. Hope you had a beautiful and safe Memorial Day weekend. I was outdoors a lot. I managed to get like seven shades darker. Tanning is just something that comes pre-installed in me. So what we're talking about today, cut right to it, is Tower of God, Episode 8. Now, before I start, I do want to say that, uh, one... Thank you for being patient on videos, YouTube gang. You know, Memorial Day weekend kind of knocked us off, but I'm going to edit stuff super hard today. So hopefully by the time you're watching this, you'll have the main episode of Weebology Podcast where we talk about High School Girl will be up and my number seven and number eight review should be up as well. So let me set the stage for all of this. Where we started episode eight is we're in the midst of a tag game. The remaining people who have not been chosen and without a shadow of a doubt passed their particular position assessments have been grouped into two teams that will kind of go one after another. And the whole point of this game is that one person on that clustered team is it. And the other team is consisting of one ranker named Quant, that red haired spiky dude who seems to just not have any sense of control or uh, nuance, if you will. So at the beginning of this episode, he has already kind of made his way in and 
he is kind of blowing up their plan A, which was basically have Shibizu lure the ranker in while Anak, their it, and one of their fishermen basically try to snipe him out with the Green April. This clearly doesn't work, and it pisses him off. And that is where we start this episode. So, it looks as if Kuhn, being the leader, says, we're pivoting to plan B. Plan B consists of Anak escaping and getting into the elevator that goes to the top of this battleground, so this tag ground, so to speak. And this would force the ranker to have to take the stairs all the way up, allowing them to concentrate attacks on the way up, since they know exactly where he has to be. He sees this plan and decides to be a courteous, courteous opposing team member. He basically says, I'm going to give you 111 seconds as a head start. Get to where you got to go. Plan B doesn't mean anything to me. Screw it. And it turns out they needed every bit of those 111 seconds because we see Quant go off in terms of Shinzu physical enhancement. Now, he's been limited in this game, so basically he doesn't, I guess, kill anybody, but that didn't even seem to matter. Even with a limited amount of Shinzu at his disposal, he is waxing people left and right without any hesitation. So, we have Anak. It's going to take her 10 minutes to get all the way up the elevator. They have 10 minutes to basically slow Quant down and allow for enough headroom for Anak to get to the top of this playing field, which is counting as a win condition. If you can get your it up there, your team does win. So, when Quant finally makes his way to the top of the stairs into the bridge that goes into the final room, he's met not with Anak, but Kuhn, actually. And he's like, bro, what happened? Where, where did she go? And Kuhn replies, oh, yeah, she jumped. She just jumped. This bridge is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet up. So her jumping down under the guise of, oh, she's a princess of Jihad. She, she knows a little Shinzu herself. He's like, he's not buying it. The second he sees it, he kind of realized what just happened. We get a little exposition from the other rankers that are watching with the people who don't have to take this test, like Rack, our boy, who is in an eating contest with the other spear bearer, and that just warms my heart. So um, they are talking about how he could have copied the tag, and now a fake one is with a knock, but it has been revealed that the tags themselves have been enhanced with Shinzu to allow for it not to be copied or compressed. Essentially, sniping out a possible plan for Kuhn. However, Quant realizes something, that he actually didn't copy the badge, but he copied the lighthouse, the cube that the light bearers sit in to gather information. And that's brilliant, because you can control it in a very slow manner, and he lowered a knock down into the darkness to make it look as if she is down there. If you want her, you gotta jump. And he's like, okay, I'll jump, but what happens when I take you with me, and you're a pancake on the ground, and your lighthouse disappears, so a knock also falls, and he does exactly that. With Kun in tow, he grabs his wrist and then just jumps, and basically tells him to beg for his life, and that is when you see the grand scheme of what Kuhn was trying to do. He was trying to get the ranker to jump 
all the way off. And then he releases his hand. He and the Ranker are now free-falling away from each other. And then a knock with the Green April comes in and whips him, and they fly up like a pulley system, leaving the Ranker to fall hundreds and hundreds of feet, who will probably survive that, but he couldn't climb up that quick to not have a knock get into that room. It looked like an awesome comeback to me. Until, as Anak is running, she sees in the doorway, Quine made it all the way up there in a matter of seconds. And everyone is like, how? How the fuck did this happen? We get a little flash of what actually happened down there after he fell. He's bitching about Kuhn being a piece of shit. And I'm like, don't you talk about my boy that way. Don't you do it. And Sleepy Boy Supreme comes out of nowhere. With Kuhn lowering himself down as well, saying, you want to go up, don't you? You, sh- you want to go up, don't you? And at that point, it looked as if Kuhn was betraying his teammates. As Sleepy Boy Supreme shot a blast of Shinzu with the rancor in tow all the way back up as quickly as he could. Turns out, these aren't the real teams that will ever be together in the end. And it's revealed by one of the rankers watching something interesting. He pulls out the scout assignment sheet and basically says these people are already guaranteed to pass even if they lost this competition. Except for Bomb. Bomb is the only person who is not guaranteed a win yet and he's on team B. Which means Kuhn planned all of this to lose while also giving Bomb and Team B as much information as humanly possible. So he had to make it really, really close. But he still lost. Now hold on. This is a big timeout for me. Because Kuhn up to this point has always been very, very good about protecting Bomb and trying to make sure he climbs the tower with him. But it's never been to the detriment of other individuals. This level of, you know, trying to protect Bomb's climb just went nuclear on everyone else's team A. He was willing to sacrifice to make sure Bomb goes through. Now, I'm really curious. I might, I am speculating. Let's, let's not get that twisted. But I'm starting to think that Bomb's protectedness by Kuhn is not a matter of, oh, Bomb, you're just a really cool guy. You're just super G-dang swell. Like, you got a cute face. No, that's not what this feels like anymore because as has been established, a lot of these individuals have a desire to climb the tower, and I mean really deep desire. Ho, for example, we talk about him in a second, but... In the last couple episodes, we've been seeing flashbacks of his people being ruthlessly like, hunted down for their horns. So his motive is revenge or some kind of uh, rectification of you know, the, the atrocities that happened to his, essentially, species, maybe? That's a huge, lofty goal. That's huge. So what is causing Bomb? to be protected by Kuhn? Is it a matter of, I just like the kid? Or is Kuhn have some other ulterior motive for ensuring that Bomb, in any or all of his hidden potential, 
makes it up far enough in the tower with him so he can be used in some capacity. I'm not saying Kuhn's a bad guy. I'm not saying that he's already looking malicious and evil. He's got uh, ulterior motives. But this definitely goes beyond just protecting, right? He is almost as if he is doing the exact opposite of Rachel and ensuring that Bomb is involved in his climb. So I can't tell if he is trying to... He's What level of sacrifice is he willing to go? Is he sacrificing other people on his team? What is he willing to do to ensure Bomb stays? And I'm now I'm really honed in on Kuhn's backstory with being the former son of a royal family. He's got a lot on his plate in terms of lore and exposition we have yet to see. And I think that's going to come into play about why he is so avidly trying to protect Bomb and his climb. So that was a little interesting detail that I felt that him willing to sacrifice his entire team's ability to win essentially just to get Bomb as much information so he too can pass because it's clearly this is much more important for Bomb than it is for Kuhn as he's already guaranteed to pass. So um, we get a couple other interactions that are interesting in this episode. There wasn't a lot uh, lore-wise or exposition-wise. We're kind of in an episode where it focused solely on the strategic mind games of uh, Tower of God as a show, which, again, I really like. Uh, it's very reminiscent of Hunter x Hunter. Again, I know the comparison, it might keep coming back up, but it's not just about brute strength for the contestants themselves. There is strategery and planning. There's stuff that needs to happen in conjunction with using any of the skills they already have. It's not just about brute force when up against someone like a ranker, right? Where their brute force is more than enough. So, I did like all of that, but on the exposition side, the lore is a little light. We do get an interesting interaction between Ho and this black-haired chick, maybe Scout, whom name escapes me at the moment, but her and him are sitting down right at the starting area when Team B is about to go, and she reviews a little bit of her backstory where she seems to have been taken to the tower by the navigator after a ranker comes in on a boat that they, they being her and her four friends, stowed away on, I guess looking for something because she's picking a lock, but it does not go well. This ranker slays everybody except for this chick, and the navigator comes in to invite her to climb the tower. So making her, making her a regular contestant. And the way Ho responds is, well, interesting. He is stone cold, definitely revenge in his eyes. He is locked in on his mission and, you know, goes so far to say like, man, I'll kill you if I have to. We've always been in that relationship. No hard feelings. No hard feelings. So it's strictly business. And her whole lament was about, I don't want to have to kill the people I've made friends with. I've had to kill my entire life. I don't want to keep doing this. And he's like, but that's just what we're here for. So sorry about you. If I have to kill you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. So I got shit to do. So Ho is clearly also another character that I think they're going to use more in the latter half of this season. As he dives deeper and deeper into what looks like a very revenge-soaked attitude, you know, he is willing to sacrifice anything, internally or externally, to have his mission seen through. 
And I want in the future, I really hope that there is a scene or a situation later where backstabbery starts to occur, some uh, trickery and betrayal. Because we have been told from the beginning that these tests are meant to test individuals that want to climb the tower because we want to make sure no one brings harm to the tower. What criteria exactly do the rankers see in a person before they can justifiably say, yes, this person's not going to hurt the tower, or no, this person can and probably will bring harm? So from characters willing to do anything to see their mission out, be it Kuhn protecting Bon at all costs, and Ho willing to kill anybody that gets in his way, in a situation where trickery might be implied, I guess, or, or used, or I imagine there's going to be a test sometime in the future that is going to encourage some backstabbery, and will these characters so obsessed with their mission, be it Rachel, be it Ho, be it Kuhn, do something that is unsavory to the criteria that the rankers are basing all these people on to climb the tower and be good enough people not to harm it, that would make for very compelling stories because it's clear that, you know, I don't know if, you know, the people that climb, are they being tested on having a pure heart, pure strength, pure, uh, you know, intelligence or some combination of the three. I want to see someone get kicked out of the tower for doing what they think is necessary. We have not really come across any incredibly life or death situations quite yet. I think the battle royale we did a little bit. Um, but in terms of the people that are here now, we haven't seen anybody uh, get into a life, truly life or death situation uh, and be confronted with that. So I want to see how these relationships that they're clearly building up get twisted as they go up the tower. This might be why Rachel doesn't want to be associated with Bomb or most other people because maybe she knows something that everyone else doesn't. Maybe that there is knowledge uh, that, hey, you might have to kill somebody really close to you as you climb because it's very obvious they're really trying to build these relationships and people are willing to sacrifice a lot to maintain those like Kuhn. So I want to see these relationships strained for compelling storytelling because that right here, you have everyone almost in a narrative Petri dish that are just kind of growing closer and closer to each other. Now what happens when all of that interpersonal effort is then strained? What happens then? Um, but I also have a hunch that p there's probably going to be a one five-person team that make it to the top, given the fact that um, Yuri, the princess of Jihad, who was labeled the best fisherman of all time, why would that still be important even after she's climbed it? Unless those positions get etched like in history in the tower or something like, this is the wave controller that climbed in this go, this is the person that you know was the light bearer at this climb. So I anticipate that there might be a you are the winning squad and not necessarily the the winning person. So um, I don't know. There's a lot of extrapolation that I'm doing about this episode and just kind of guessing. There wasn't a lot of lore here. The episode itself, while entertaining, felt light. Kind of, sort of light. We do have details here and there of 
you know, uh, rankers and their role to play here that, uh, what they can do with Shinzu is clearly needing limiting at this level and they're still mollywhopping. So I don't know. There's something about this episode that it felt light. And I was really kind of hoping that we got some more badass scenes or some more expositional scenes because episode seven, while it was really good, it seemed like it was leading to this awesome showdown this uh, opportunity for some really sweet Sakuga, really good fight choreography. And we didn't get much of that here. All mind games, so not bad. So I'm going to give this episode a 77. Now hear me out. I know that's a lot less, not a lot less, but it's less than the other previous episodes. And I think by merit of the other episodes just escalating so beautifully that any plateau is going to feel like stagnancy. It's going to feel like the anime itself is kind of crawling, and it didn't really crawl here. We got we got uh, progression. We saw this really cool reveal of Team A's actual plan, and we're about to see Team B get into stuff, and Bomb on the field might be a very interesting thing to watch. Maybe if he has a Shinzu outbreak again, uh, this could be a win for Team B. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's sad to say that it's the less... Uh, attractive of like the last like seven episodes but I am still extremely hype on it I am still you know enjoying every second this is another show that you know you can pop it on and you like look down and it's already over and you're like that was not 23 minutes um but yeah so thank y'all for watching thank y'all for listening YouTube gang thank you for your patience uh this should be up uh you know by the time you're watching this, all all the <laughs> videos should be up on my end. Um, the uh, people who want to listen with their ears and not their eyes go to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Castbox, or anywhere else you get your podcast fix. Check us out on uh, Instagram at webology.podcast. We got memes on memes on news whenever we get them out in this isolation situation. Drop us a line. We've been doing a lot of listener suggestion episodes now, and we cannot thank y'all enough for submitting stuff. So we webologypodcast at gmail.com. Go ahead and drop us a line there, and we'll check out the anime you have. We have a little bit of a backlog, so anyone who's sent one, they are coming. We will get to those, but we're trying to mix them in uh, with our other episode ideas. Twitter, WebologyP. I hope we don't change that name because I really do like it. But until next time... I'm Ricky, that was Ethan, and this has been Apology.